Good morning, church. It's good to have you here today to worship God. It's great to have our team back from Ohio. I know Dustin's going to have some words to share on that in just a few minutes. But we are thankful that they are back. We're thankful they have been had a safe trip and a great and prosperous trip as well. If you're visiting today, we thank you so much for coming our way. And we would like to ask if you're looking for a church family that you look no further. We are not perfect, but we strive to do the best that we can. And we strive to be a great church only because we strive to serve like Jesus Christ. And we mess up. We get it wrong sometimes. But we keep on striving and we keep on trying to be like Jesus. And we love one another. And we're here to help one another. Like my brother Bill this morning was helping me hold my light up higher. Because sometimes my arm gets tired. Thank you, Brother Bill. I appreciate it. That's the way we are here at Savannah. And so we want to encourage you to, to come back as often as you can if you're looking for a church home. Look no further. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 5, if you're not already there. Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus began His Sermon on the Mount, Matthew says there was multitudes of people. And He had been teaching them and healing their sick. And I want you to notice the next two slides here. And you'll notice what this hillside, what this mountainside may have been like. When Jesus had these multitudes of people up on the mountain, you'll see off there in the distance. The Sea of Galilee was also close by. It might have looked something like this. And the scene is set. and Jesus has all the people around Him. And He begins this Sermon on the Mount and He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute for righteous, are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for My name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then Jesus comes to our section of Scripture that I want us to notice this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. There's a lot in these few verses that we don't have time to cover all those things, but we're going to try to cover what we can, and I wanted you to notice a few key words in these passages. I want you to notice the first thing that Jesus... he. He emphasizes the group that He wants to hear. He said, you. To His disciples that were listening, He said, you. Now, we were not there directly 
when Jesus is speaking that, but down through the years, faithful people have passed this on to others, and in a sense, Jesus could be saying to you and I today, you, you, church, you, Christians, you have an influence. You have an influence on those people around you. You see, some in Jesus' day were more concerned about the minute details of conduct, yet laid aside the major issue of character. One person said, conduct flows out of character. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus would talk about it's what comes from the heart. That's what comes out of the mouth. It's what comes from the heart. That's what defiles a man. So you see, it's important what we allow into our minds and into our hearts because that is what will come out. And where our heart is, that is where we will influence people. So we might could say our conduct flows from our heart. Our influence. Our influence on others. John MacArthur tells two stories that I want to illustrate this point with. One he tells of an ancient Greek myth that tells of a goddess who came to earth but yet she was unseen, but whose presence was always known by the things she left, the blessings she left behind in her pathway. Trees that were burned in the forest sprouted new leaves and violets sprang up in her footsteps. As she passed by a stagnant pool, its water became fresh. And parched fields turned green as she walked through them. Hills and valleys blossomed with new life and beauty wherever she went. She had good influence, didn't she? But he also tells of another story. An ancient Greek story of a princess that was sent as a present to a king. She was as beautiful as could be. For she was as beautiful as Aphrodite and her breath was as sweet as perfume. But she carried with her the contagious influence of death and decay. From her infancy, she had been fed nothing but poison, and it permeated her very being, the very environment that she was in. She would poison. Her breath would kill a swarm of insects. She would pick a flower and it would wither. A bird flying too close would fall dead at her feet. What's the point in these two stories that MacArthur shares? The point is that all of us will influence someone. We're going to influence people around us in one way or the other. We will influence them for bad or we will influence them for good. Bottom line, I will influence people. No doubt, wherever I am. But the choice of which influence I choose is all up to me. Jesus specifically says, you. And we need to take our influence seriously. What does our world consist of? Well, many will go into the world and other parts of the world. 
And we're able to support them in, through prayer and financial uh, ways and other ways. But what about me? What about me and what about my world? My world consists of those people around me daily. That's my mission field. And Jesus says you will influence people in your mission field one way or the other. The choice is up to me. Our spouses, our children, our co-workers, our neighbors, our extended family, those in the grocery store, wherever we are, we will influence people. I'm reminded of a story that a speaker shared with about David. And he talked about how God had put David over sheep. But God took David, who had been shepherding sheep, and put him in charge of shepherding his people. And we know that David was called a man after God's own heart. He took where David was and he used that to do things bigger. But we know David, even the man after God's own heart, he made some mistakes, didn't he? Jesus says you're going to influence people. There's always people watching. Here's the question we must answer. Can they count on you to be the right kind of influence? But notice in the next place, Jesus said you are the salt of the earth. Jesus says you are, not you will become. You are, not you're going to become. You are the salt of the earth. Think about, real quickly, three values of salt. Number one, salt is valuable. In Jesus' day, people would be paid with salt. Maybe you've heard the phrase before, they are worth their salt. But what does that mean for the earth and the Christian? It means that the world has no real value without the influence of Christians who walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Salt is valuable, but salt also has flavor. Job writes this in Job 6. Listen to it. Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? And this is what Job says about that. My soul refuses to touch them. They are loathsome food to me. You ever pick up a box of cereal or a canned good or, or some dried beans or whatever it might be. You pick that up in the grocery store and you look at it and what does it have on it? Sodium. Sodium gives flavor. Salt gives flavor. Those who have to be on a salt-free diet or a low-sodium diet, they struggle to find flavor in their food, don't they? Amen. What does that say about the earth and the Christian? What the world has to offer. Don't miss it. What the world has to offer 
is tasteless. It's tasteless. And the influence of the child of God gives this world flavor. Now let's put ourselves in the picture. Aren't you glad that you and I as Christians, as children of God, we have the opportunity to give a tasteless world flavor. You ever been intimidated by doing the right thing? You ever been fearful for saying I'm a Christian? Jesus says don't be fearful because you, you, Christian, give this world flavor because it doesn't have any without Jesus and without His followers. Salt has value. Salt gives flavor. But salt also is a preservative. Salt long has been a way of preserving food. Back in Jesus' day, they couldn't go down to the local store and buy a refrigerator and preserve their food. So they would use salt. What does this say about the earth and the Christian? The world is decaying. It's rotting. It may paint a beautiful picture, but it is just a facade, just paint because it's dying. Have you ever thought about this? Back in Genesis chapter 3, do you know what Satan does? Satan paints this beautiful picture for Adam and Eve. And he says, see this picture? What God really wants is God really wants you to be in that picture. Or He's afraid that you'll be in that picture and you'll be number one. And Satan says, put yourself in the place of God. And in a sense, he paints that same kind of picture for us. And he says, put yourself in that picture. Look how beautiful it is with you in the center and not God. And you see, what Satan fails to remind us is that what this world has to offer, it's dying. It's tasteless. It's of no value. And yet, we still struggle with that. And so did Adam and Eve. And so did many other that we read about in Scripture. But thanks be to God, We have a Savior that forgives. When you're tempted next time, I want you to picture in your mind the the picture that Satan is painting for you. And he wants you to be in the center of that picture and say, without this, you can't be in the center. You can't be in that beautiful picture. What he fails to show you is what's behind it. And it's death. And it's a dying world. So what's the challenge for you and I as Christians? The challenge is that salt is distinctive and you and I must be distinctive as well. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, we're going to do one or the other, Paul says. We're going to either be a good influence or a bad influence. And Paul says, you're either going to conform or you're going to be transformed. The choice is up to me. Do 
not be conformed, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. James would say in James chapter 4 and verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. John would write in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So here's the question we must answer. Can people tell if I'm a Christian? Yeah, I go to Savannah Church of Christ. But can people tell I'm a Christian? Can people tell by the way I talk? Or by the topics I choose to discuss? Or by the way I act? Or by how I deal with difficult situations? Can they tell... I'm a Christian. You see, being a Christian should permeate every aspect of our life. It should affect everything. Jesus didn't say, hey, listen to me. Jesus didn't say, you're the salt of the church. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. Let's go out and give this world flavor and meaning to the way we live. You see, Jesus said the salt that loses its flavor, the salt that loses its saltiness, it is then good for nothing but only to be trampled underfoot by men. No one wants to be not any good. And Jesus says, therefore, go be salt of the earth. Jesus said, you, church, you, Christians, are the salt of the earth. But notice what else He says. You, Christians, you, church, are the light of the world. Like we sang the song just a little bit ago. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine all around the neighborhood. A simple song, yet with a powerful message. Hide it under a bushel? No! Don't let Satan it out. Why? I'm going to let it shine. And church, we need to go out into this world and we need to let our lights shine. Jesus would say in John chapter 3 and verse 19, And this is the condemnation that the light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. See, here's the, here's the fact of the matter. As we go out and we live lights, lives of light, there may be people that do not like us. Because we expose through the light of Jesus Christ their evil deeds. But have no fear. Have no fear. Elijah felt alone. 
Elijah cried out to God, I'm all alone. I'm the only one that's left to serve you. And God said, oh no. I have thousands that have not bowed the feet to Baal. Jesus said, you be the light of the world. Turn your Bibles real quickly, if you will, to 1 John chapter 1. Beautiful passage on being light. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. We are light. We are light not because of some inherent illuminating power within us. Rather, we are light because of our connection with the light source, Jesus Christ. That's what makes us light. Not because I can be so good. Not because I can be so righteous. Not because I can do things right. It's because I am connected and I am submitting to Jesus Christ, the light source. In the same way, as the moon and the stars reflect the sun, the light of the sun, you and I reflect the light of the Son of God in this world. So what's the challenge? Jesus says a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. You see, people in Jesus' day would build their cities up on a hill for several reasons. Number one, it would save valuable farmland. Number two, it could be more easily defended for you could see when your enemies were coming. And it was a lot easier to defend that city on the hill. Also, as people would enter into an area, they could see where the city was for the lights of the city would shine for miles. And Jesus said, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus said, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. What happens if we take a light and we cover it up? Hide it under a bushel? No. Why? What happens? It can dim the light. It can also make the light go out. And we are light going into the world. And let's be careful. Let's be careful of being ashamed. Let's be careful of covering that light up to dim that light because the longer we cover, that light may go out. I'm reminded of a story. Years ago, there were a group of men hired to stand at railroad crossings. And they would have a lantern 
with a light. And when the train was coming, they would wave that lantern to oncoming vehicles so that they would not cross. But one night, there was a terrible accident and a man was killed. And in the courtroom, the lawyer would ask that man carrying the lantern, did you wave your lantern? And several times he said, yes, yes, yes. Years later, a friend asked, if you were waving your lantern, why did the car car not stop? And he said, because I was waving my lantern, but it wasn't lit. You see, when we don't let our light shine, people die eternally. And Jesus says, you, church, you are the light of the world. What does all this mean for us as we conclude this morning? Jesus said in verse 16, You let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? It's there, right? And glorify you as the child of God. And glorify you as the church. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, as we go about doing good, it's still not about me. As we go about doing good, it's still not about the church necessarily. It's about God. And that God gets the glory. Praise God. Let us be people who live out the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Lives of humility. Lives of meekness. Lives that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Lives of mercy. Lives that are pure. Lives that seek to bring peace. Lives of courage and faith in the midst of persecution. And the question is, will I live like this? There was a Diamond owner, gym owner in New York City. Harry Winston was his name. And Harry had gotten word that there was a famous Dutch collector who was looking for a rare diamond. And so he believed he had that jewel. And so he called him up and he said, I believe I have the very stone that you're looking for. And so he said, why don't you come to New York City and take a look at this stone? And so he came. Harry had assigned his best salesman to sell this stone to this Dutch collector. And so he goes through and he, and he holds that stone and he begins talking about all the technical, detailed features of the stone. Finally, the Dutch merchant, he said, you know, that's a beautiful stone, but I just don't think it's exactly what I'm looking for. The whole time, Harry Winston was watching from a distance. 
And as the gentleman headed out the door, he stopped him and he said, may I show you the stone one more time? Sure. But instead of describing all of the detailed technical features of the stone, he began describing what a rare jewel it really was. Just take a look at it. Isn't this the most beautiful thing you have ever seen in your life? You would do well to have this stone in your collection. What a rare thing of beauty it is. And the merchant decided to buy the stone. And as they were packaging it up for him, he asked Harry Winston, what was the difference? How come when you presented the stone, I couldn't resist? Yet your salesman, when he presented it, I had no problem saying no. He said, well, I'll tell you this. He said, that's my best salesman. He is the best in the business. He knows everything there is about these stones. More than I do. I pay him a good salary to do what he does. But you see, I would gladly pay him twice as much if I could pour into him just a little bit of what I have that he doesn't have. You see, that salesman, he knows a lot about stones. But I love them. As we go out from this building into this world, into our homes, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our community, can people tell we know a lot of technical features and details about God and the church and Christ? Or can they tell? I love Him. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation tonight, today, don't wait any longer. Come to Jesus if you need to. As together we stand and sing.